If you're new with us or if you're visiting, um, welcome. Uh, my name is Crooksy. I'm the family's pastor here at Rehope Glasgow. Um, I've been away for the last couple of weeks. It's really nice to be back. I'm really excited to get to speak to you today, and I figured I might as well talk about one of my favorite things. So can I tell you real quick about how much I love the Bible? Whether you say yes or not, I'm going I'm to do it. Um, I've got five things that I want to talk to you about today, five little chapters that we'll be looking at, different passages. We're going to be jumping around, and then we're going to connect all the dots at the end. That's, that's the plan. I am quite emotionally reactive person. That's kind of how I'm wired. I respond emotionally to things really naturally. Movies, TV, music, football, all that stuff. And you can tell how much I care about a thing based on my emotional response to it. I really love it. Like, is there anything better than whenever you're in like a completely quiet place? and you're listening to some music, and you're getting the chills. I love that. I mean, it's not often you get a completely quiet place in the city, so even that alone is great. I love that. Goosebumps. Perfect. First time I ever cried at a TV show was The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And you're laughing at me, but it was the episode whenever Will's dad comes back, and it's heavy. Like, it's heavy. I'm not just uh, crying at Uncle Phil chucking jazz out the door. Like, that doesn't really get the tears rolling, but Will's dad, dude, that was heavy. But the Fresh Prince, like, I get it. I was at uh, my girlfriend at the Times house. Her wee brother completely saw me doing it. I got slated for life. But whatever, I react emotionally to things. I kind of can't help it. That's just the way it is. And sometimes you just can't help it. Sometimes your brain just takes a minute to catch up with your mouth, and your mouth is already going full speed. One minute, you're just watching the football, and you're 2-0 down, and you're about to text Duncan about how, do you know what, see if Man United do sell Paul Pogba? I wasn't care. He's done nothing in this game, and what's he doing dyeing his hair blue before a Manchester derby anyway? And then the next minute, Paul Pogba. And then two minutes after that, Paul Pogba. And then I'm standing in the middle of our living room screaming at the TV, this is what you get, this is what you get. I don't know, what do you get? Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Apparently, this is what you get. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm sure our neighbors were loving it, but now they know this is what you get. <laughs> okay. I do this with loads of stuff. And it's not just experiences. Um, I get emotionally attached to objects. Um, I have t-shirts, you guys, that have the seams twisted and threadbare and holes in them that I love with every fiber of my being. They're like old friends. I love them. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a t-shirt that we wore on that date. We wore. I wore. <laughs> That's the t-shirt that I wore on that day. Or that's the t-shirt that I was wearing when we went to that gig. And I, I associate my memories with that. And Jamie loves my old t-shirts less than I love my old t-shirts. She's more Marie Kondo than Martin Crooks. And she's like, you have had that t-shirt for like 10 years. Throw it away. And I'm like, I can't throw this t-shirt away. I've had it for like 10 years. And that's just the way it goes. And now that we're getting ready for our move, 
the other day I sorted my t-shirts into piles of ones that I'm going to take with me and ones that I'm going to sell or try to sell and ones that I'm going to throw away and it was like taking my friends and categorizing them into ones that I want to keep with me and ones that I'm done with it was heartbreaking for me Jamie lapped it up I get all emotional dude I can't help it it's like TV music t-shirts football all of it all of it except relatively recently the Bible I never really had an emotional reaction to the Bible which is weird because uh, you'll tell how much I care about something based on my emotional reaction to it and I like to think that I really like the Bible so the fact that I don't really emotionally connect with it that much weirds me out I kind of freak me out so today I want to talk to you about some stuff and a few passages here and there that help me think through all this stuff and I'm hoping that by the end of the next like half an hour or so that you'll love the Bible a little bit more that you'll value it just a little bit more and I'm making an assumption that you already love it but that you're going to want to love it just that little bit more it's good there's goodness in the Bible and there's always more goodness to get. We're going to read, and where better to start about thinking about loving the Bible than Psalm 119? Uh, that's just where you go. We're going to read a little bit of it, and we're going to read uh, from verse 89 to 97. And if you've got a Bible with you today, go ahead and look that up just now. But if you've not got one, that's chill. The words will be on the screen as we read together. Psalm 119, starting at verse 89, says, Yahweh your word is forever it is firmly fixed in heaven your faithfulness is for all generations you established the earth and it stands firm they stand today in accordance with your judgments for all things are your servants if your instructions had not been my delight I would have died in my affliction I will never forget your precepts for you have given me life through them I am yours save me for I have sought your precepts and the wicked hope to destroy me but I contemplate your decrees I have seen a limit to all perfection but your command is without limit how I love your instruction it's my meditation all day long. Psalm 119 is a long psalm and it's full of reasons to love God and love his word and what God does for us and what benefits knowing God through his word and knowing his word can bring and it's great and I love it. There's so much hope in it and so much good news and then I do that Northern Irish thing that even though I have been away from Northern Ireland for almost 10 years, I still have the ability to take really good news and then twist it into bad news. I'm really good at that. That is just drummed into you. Um, that's the way it goes. I used to read passages like this and think, yeah, but I don't write poetry, though. And I don't write poetry about how much I love God and love the Bible. And I can't come up with like all of them reasons. And I don't think about the Bible day and night. So I turn this amazing, eloquent, glorious poem into something to beat myself up with. And instead of being inspired, 
I feel put down. But why would you do that? Why would I do that? It's like I have this image of the psalmist and like he doesn't get anything done ever because he's just sitting all day thinking about God's laws. Like, hmm, if my house gets mildew, I better get the priest round. And then he never gets anything done, never tidies his house, probably gonna get mildew. I don't know, maybe he's sitting all night thinking I better not pick all them grapes because some other people might need some of those grapes. And he never gets anything done, but I can't do that. I need to get the things done. I'm a busy person, don't you know? Yeah, I totally am. When does he get anything done? Maybe we wouldn't say, I love the Bible, I meditate on it day and night. That doesn't really sound like something that we would say. Perhaps if we wanted to express that sentiment, we would say, I love the Bible, like, dude, I just can't put it down. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, I just can't put it down. It would be amazing. But it still kind of seems like a little bit unachievable because our lives are structured around getting the stuff done quickly and then on to the next thing. Make the most out of every second. Squeeze in just one more job. Do two things at once. Podcast while you work. TV while you eat. Instagram while you watch a movie. Instagram while you eat. Read your Bible app on the bus. And it's just everything all at once. There's this word for millennials in Japanese. It's on the screen. Nagarazoku. I'm an expert in Japanese. This literally translates to the people who do two things at once. That's what they call millennials, the people who do two things at once. But actually, this word was originally used in 1959 by a medical professor who was outraged that his students didn't have the focus to just study. They listened to the radio while they studied. Can you believe it? The radio outrageous but now we think it's a good thing to multitask right multitask is a good skill and men have been told from the dawn of time that they can't multitask quite like women well I would like to disagree with that because men do two things at once all of the time and I'd also like to disagree that multitasking is a good thing when we divide our time and squeeze one more thing in and do two things at once, when are we ever going to find the time to just sit and read at all? Never mind all day and all night. Never mind, I just can't put it down. We need to slow down. We need to stop and make sure that there is time that is protected and special and non-negotiable when we can read and we can think. Scheduling time with the Bible is important. So we need to think, like, when is that going to work for you? What is the time in your day when it's going to work? Like, do you need to get up a little bit earlier? Do you need to carve out some time at the end of the day? Do you need to find a little pocket of time before, like, your wife or your husband or your flatmates or your kids, like, get up in the morning or get home from work or school or uni or whatever? Uh, Jimmy's job changed recently, and that threw my schedule into disarray. So we had to switch things up. Now she leaves for work kind of like ish an hour before I need to, 
So I've had to switch my time uh, and do it in and do my Bible time in the morning. Reacting to the changes in life sometimes ends up that maybe Bible is the first thing to drop. Maybe prayer time is the first thing to drop. But reacting to the changes in our lives to make sure that we're still prioritizing that time is super important. Scheduling is important. Making the choices to stop and slow down and fight what seems so natural for us to do and do and do and do it all at the same time. Slow down. Stop and soak. It's good. It's good. Scheduling's important. But you can see from this section of the psalm that scheduling isn't the main focus of this piece of writing. The focus is loving the Bible. Love is greater than discipline. Scheduling and discipline, that can only take you so far. It's a really good start, but it can only take you so far. But when you love spending time with the Bible, then it's going to be so much easier for us to make that time and to make sure it gets protected. Think about it though. Like when we say, I just can't put it down, it's not because you've got something that you don't really like reading, but you're really good at scheduling and you're really good with willpower. When you say you can't put a book down, it's because you love it and it's like almost like you have an addiction to that. You're just like hooked to it. That's why it's so great, love is greater than discipline. So how are we going to go about boosting our love for the Bible? Well, when we look at Psalm 119, we see a bunch of time the psalmist is chatting about how he's loving the Bible, but there's also a bunch of stuff about what benefits God has given him because of the instructions he has received and because he has been blessed by God's word. And I bet that you wouldn't have to think for too long, I hope, you wouldn't have to think for too long to think of ways that God has blessed you through the Bible. And it could be a pretty fun thing for you to do this week in your own time. Well, sometimes the same thing that helps us with our scheduling can help us to grow in our love for the Word of God. Like, make time, protect it, but go somewhere that you really like whenever it's your time for reading. Get yourself a great snack or a coffee or a beer, probably not if you're finding your time first thing in the morning, but if it's in the evening, then maybe that'll be cool. Make time for your reading and make that time your best time. Switch your phone off, get rid of those distractions and help yourself to enjoy reading the Bible. Set up an atmosphere where your enjoyment can happen more easily. For example, I like to read out loud because my my internal reading voice is like this and this is what I sound like in my own head whenever I'm reading the Bible. And whenever you read the Bible like that, it's not particularly interesting. But whenever I read out loud, then I can get into things a little bit more. And that's something that I do to help me to emotionally connect with the Bible since I haven't always found it super easily, very natural. So I do it. How much connection do you think you'll get from the Bible just by skim reading it? But how much connection do you think you'll get with the Bible by spending dedicated time and enjoyment 
where you want to be doing the thing you want to do. Make your reading something that you love, not something that you have to do. I like to read it loud, but I also like the facts. I like reading the facts. And sometimes when I read, I feel like I'm just there to like gather up the facts. I like the details. I like the facts. I like reading the history sections of the Bible the most. And I like thinking about what's happening and when it happens and who's there and what else is happening at that same time and about how it connects with other stories in the Bible as a whole. And like, are there any parallels there? I love that chat. A timeline? Oh my goodness. That mental timeline? I dream about that. Boring. Whatever. (laughs) I like that. And I find the whole prophetic vision stuff slightly harder to get into because I want to know exactly what is going on and I like to visualize what is going on. So it's easier when you've got the history stuff. For example, I know that Samson was in Gaza and then he ripped the city gates off. You know that story? And then he put them on the hill at Hebron. I always just kind of imagined that was like, bop. And then he set them on the hill. So when the people in Gaza woke up, they would see the gates and be like, you, Samson. But Hebron is 37 miles away from Gaza. Like he carried those gates to Stirling and set them on a hill. I like getting those details and I like to figure out what's going on. So whenever you're reading Ezekiel or Daniel or John's vision in Revelation and whenever it's something that you don't necessarily have like a visual comparison for or a visual reference point for, I find that really difficult and I find it hard to connect with that. Maybe as I'm saying this, like you're kind of thinking, yeah, like this book or this passage or like even this genre of writing in the Bible is the one that I find it quite hard to connect to. Or maybe if you're not in a Bible reader group, you might be thinking, actually, there's books of the Bible that I have never even read. I know before I joined a Bible reader group, there were whole sections of the Bible that I'd never even looked at. But it's better whenever we understand. And it's better whenever we can get into it all. Some things are easier than others, but it's better when we can get into it all. And I get that the Bible's not always easy. It's a complicated book, written over the course of a couple of thousand years by different people in different historical time periods. It's complicated. So it makes sense that it might not be super like universally understood. It's complicated. Yet they would have you believe that if you had any shred of intellectual proficiency, you would disregard the Bible as inaccurate and unreliable and made up. We disagree with that. This is a complicated text and it takes a lot to understand it. It's not easy. In fact, there are parts of the Bible that are written to be specifically difficult to understand For example, Jesus told parables just to be confusing. That's what he was going for. But it's cool, and he had a reason for doing that, and he explained why he did that in Matthew 13. Uh, We can read this, um, starting in verse 10. Then the disciples came up to him and asked him, why do you speak in parables? And he answered them, because the the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know but it's not been given to them. Skip into verse 14. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says you will listen and listen, yet never understand. And you will look and look, yet never 
perceive. So Jesus is being deliberately cryptic. And there's a reason for that and something that's really important for us to remember. That the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are given to you to know. Think about that for a minute. The secrets of the kingdom of heaven are given to you. Woof. This changes everything. So that even when the Bible is being deliberately hard to understand, we can still gain a full understanding because the Holy Spirit will reveal those secrets to us. If you want to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, they need to be given to you. And if it isn't this way, everything is left down to us to understand. And I don't know about you, and I want to speak about you, but ancient literature is really not my strong suit. I haven't read anything else. So I wouldn't pretend to know or to understand. I need help with that. Or actually, I don't need help with that because that makes it sound like I'm going to do my bit and then the Holy Spirit can give me a little top-up and that's not how it works. The Holy Spirit needs to understand the Bible to us. And that doesn't really make sense as a sentence, but theologically, it makes sense. The Holy Spirit is the one who does understand it and then gives it to us. God needs to do God's job. We can't do God's job. And this is whenever I've really seen Bible read-through come into its own because we just read it and let God do God's job. No notes, no clues, no concordance supplemented Bible, no cheating, no spoilers, just read it. And it fits with what we've just been thinking about, like with why Jesus told the parables and all that. I used to use one of those like life application study Bibles. Has anybody ever used one of those? And anytime I came across something that I didn't know what it was talking about, you just skip down to the bottom of the page and you're like, oh, right, that's what it means. Okay, cool. And that was helpful, I guess. Thank you, editors and publishers. It was so, so easy to understand and then so, so easy to forget. I hadn't really thought about it or engaged with it for myself, so it was kind of in one ear and out the other. Then Bible read-through happened and my safety net was gone and I had to start thinking for myself or rather listening for myself. And I learned not to listen to the notes but to listen to the Holy Spirit instead because the Holy Spirit is better than the notes. We have the spirit of truth, not the notes of truth. So we should listen to him. And it takes time to break bad habits or unhelpful habits, but it's worth it. It's worth it. People make mistakes. The Spirit doesn't make mistakes. So this model of reading the Bible fits with our harder to understand leads to greater reliance on the Holy Spirit, which leads to greater understanding of the Bible thing. That's why we do what we do, and that's why I'm convinced that it works. When Jesus is using parables, and, it, and it's more widely applicable, but, but when he's using parables, he doesn't just help us to learn. Like if he just told us it, it would be too easy. He doesn't just teach us what we need to know. He teaches us to learn how to learn. 
How he teaches us sets us up with good listening and learning and growing habits for life. So instead of thinking, why is this Bible so hard to understand? Now we can think, thank you for being so complicated and so detailed and so rich and so layered. This is good. Love it. And we can love the Bible and we can connect with God through it by listening to the Holy Spirit to help us with our understanding, but there's more than that. Listening to the Holy Spirit is also great for understanding, but it's also the key piece in using the Bible to its full capacity to help us to know God and to draw close to him. So that emotional connection, I feel close to people or to things whenever I emotionally connect with it. So I want to emotionally connect with the Bible, but I don't usually do that. Until about a year ago, and we were reading Matthew in our Bible read-through group, and I really had the emotional connection thing on my mind at the time. And when reading through Matthew, I kept noticing other people's emotional reactions to the news of Jesus. I'm going to give you a few examples of that, ones that like really stuck out to me. Um, first of all, like whenever Jesus, uh, the news of Jesus' birth reaches Herod via the Magi, we can compare their emotional responses. First up, Herod is raging, and he doesn't even know where the Messiah is going to be born, and he has to ask the dude so he can try and kill God. Good luck with that. And compare that to the Magi, who were overjoyed beyond measure. And it's interesting how the dude who you think should know about the thing doesn't even know about the thing and is raging. And the guys who aren't Jewish and aren't really anything to do with this are overjoyed. That kind of seems backwards. Interesting. Skip to the end of the book and Palm Sunday and Jesus enters Jerusalem and everybody's freaking out and they're shouting and celebrating the streets and the kids hear that and they pick it up. And later in the week, Jesus clears the temple, talk about emotional responses. But um, all the church dudes are raging and the kids are still running around praising God and shouting like everyone had been and the church guys try and shut them up until Jesus jumps to their defense. Loads of emotional reactions in this passage and similarly, the people who you expect to get it don't get it and the people who you think maybe will get it less get it loads. It's interesting. If we keep going, we get to Jesus' trial in front of Pilate and this is the bit that got me. It's the bit where Pilate offers them Barabbas or Jesus and they scream for Barabbas and they scream crucify him at Jesus. So we get to this bit in Matthew chapter 27, verse 26, that says, When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. I'm just like, you monsters. How could you do that to those kids who just a week ago were running around the temple praising God and you're going to pin this on them? You animals. And it just hit me, like hit me. I was sitting on my bed in my room and I was just like, Bleh. 
tears everywhere. And like even like a year later, I think this is the first time that I've read that passage out loud and not burst. It gets me. I have this giant emotional connection with God through his Bible. And I felt like God was being like, I see your heart for those kids and I share that heart. I had this giant connection with him, felt his presence through the Bible loads, experiencing God's presence through his word. Man, that is something to be pursued, to go out and hunt for it. Because we can love the word and we can gain understanding of it and we can connect with God through it, but it's also a key piece for our listening like on a wider level. Bible is the fullest, most reliable character reference for God that we have. So by getting deep into studying it, we can know God more, including, but not limited to, what he's like and the things that he likes. And this can help us to evaluate our direction and where he's guiding us and what he wants us to do when he's speaking to us. The Bible is vital for our discernment. If it doesn't match up with the Bible, forget about it. Think about Jephthah, right? Do you know Jephthah? He was a judge that God raised up to rescue his people. So we're like, cool, Jephthah's a goodie. Great. Homeboy goes out and the first thing he does is that he schools this Ammonite king on God. He takes him to school. And you're like, Jeff, that, you boss, nice one, mate. And then he goes out and he wins this battle, and you're like, Jeff, that, yes, mate. And then when he goes home, he's made this stupid vow about sacrificing the first thing he sees whenever he goes home in worship of God. Only the first thing he sees when he goes home is his own daughter, who he kills in sacrifice to God. And he might know about God because he took that king to school. He knows the history. But he doesn't know God enough to know that God would hate him to do that. And that's not something you do in worship of God. In fact, he specifically commanded against it. He doesn't know God enough. And that's a pretty extreme example But needless to say, the more we know about who God is and what he likes, the better we'll be able to follow him. And if we don't know God enough, evaluating and discerning our direction and what God wants us to do is going to be so much more difficult for us. But when you've got the help of the Bible, you've got a fighting chance. In January, during the fasting week, I was praying a bunch about my next steps. That was one of the things I wrote on my card. And since I took this job two years ago, um, it has been my plan to start a campus of Rehope in Glasgow. And Brian and I have been talking about that for the last two years and thinking about things that I would have to do to get ready or as ready as one possibly could be for when that time comes. I've been thinking about this a lot. So when January came, I was praying, thinking that this campus thing was going to be my next step, and I was praying, where is it going to be? God, answer me, where is it going to be? And who should I ask to help me with this? 
And like, when do you want me to do this thing? And I wanted specifics. I was starting to want to do more than just dream. I wanted to plan. And the answer that God gave me was like part of a verse from Psalm 23 that says, my cup overflows. And it was the present tense. Now your cup's gonna overflow whenever you get a job as a campus pastor. Your cup overflows now. And God was telling me to wait in the place that I was for then and not to push forward with the campus thing. And I mean, now I know what I was waiting for and now I know why God wanted me to wait. He had a different step for me. He had other preparation, but wait was not the answer that I wanted. But because I had the security of knowing that God had spoken to me through his word, I was able to accept the answer that I didn't want to hear as a good thing. <laughs> and then even like a few weeks ago, whenever the word of the potential new campus drops, and we know, Jamie and I know, that God willing, that will happen whenever we are away and we're not going to be a part of it. That was a curveball, my dudes. Let me tell you, that was a curveball. And it feels like we're going to be really missing out on that. But I know because I have the foundations and how God spoke to me through his word that the thing that he's bringing me into is good. And this potential new campus, God willing, please give us more space will be good and I can accept that happily without disappointment because I have confidence in how God has spoken to me through the word God's word ladies and gentlemen is vital it's vital to know it because through it you can understand and then you can know God in a really deep and personal way and you can know how to follow him effectively and you can get clear understanding of what he is saying to you. And the Bible is the benchmark that we measure everything else up to. It makes giant life decisions navigatable. It makes really big disappointments sources of joy. And whenever a curveball gets thrown in, you can deal with it. Because he's made it clear to us what we need to do. And that kind of brings me back to Psalm 119, do you know? Whenever the psalmist says that the Bible is a light to your feet, he wasn't kidding. This book is great. It's to be enjoyed, it's to be connected with, it's to be loved, to be treasured. It's to be respected, to be understood, to be used to its full capacity, and it's all there for you when you pursue it when you listen to the Holy Spirit. And I hope that thinking about this stuff can help you to take that one step deeper. Do you know, take that next step forward in love for God's word and then grow deeper in love for him. I hope that you're gonna find yourself in a place where you're like, dude, I just can't put it down. I've got a, a few challenges for you today. Um, first one, I want to, you to evaluate your current love for the Bible. Where on the scale of, I just can't pick it up and I just can't put it down, are you right now? Have a think about, personally, how is that going? Have you got a time? Are you sticking to that regularly? How's your Bible read-through going? Those are the sort of questions that I'd be asking myself 
so I could place myself on that scale. Number two, I want you to do some maths. This is, maths is fun, right? Do some maths. Go to your notebook or wherever you write down your Bible read-through shares and get a sample size of maybe like two months and count how many notes you've written down in two months and then multiply that number by six and then you can calculate an estimation of how many secrets of the kingdom of heaven are revealed to you in a year. That's fun. Then multiply that by how many years you've been doing Bible read-through, and then you can think, this is fun. How many secrets? I bet it's not just one or two, my dudes. I bet you know a load of secrets. That's really exciting. Do some exciting maths. You don't always get to do that. You're welcome. Uh, number three, start a list. Whenever you're reading in your Bible, start a list, one of this is what God is like. This is a question that I ask the kids all the time. From this story, what kind of a God is God? What, what's he like? And how do you know that? So whenever you're reading this, what, can, what does God do? And what does that tell us about who he is? Start with those adjectives and make a list of what God is like. Build out a giant list, character description for God. And then also make a list of things that this is what God likes so that you can know what things you're going to want to lean into and what things you're going to want to pursue. So anytime you're reading in, in your Bible, you've got those things there and you can add to your list. A really fun thing to do. Or at least that's the kind of thing that I think is fun. And I bet if you give it a go, you might find it fun too. Nice one. Uh, I really love that Bible, my dudes. I really do. And I hope uh, that as we engage with it in a new way, in a deeper way, that we'll grow in love for it. Thank you.